Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here today to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 284, the January 1982 issue on sale of November 5th, 1991, cover price of a dollar. This one's titled Into the Void. What lies beyond the void? Asks the cover. Yeah. Also, the mutant Bishop trademark makes his move. And there's a predator on the cover. Yeah, I guess a couple of predators. You got a giant head of a predator with the reflection, which I don't even think I realized until just now. I think is supposed to be a reflection of Colossus, Storm, Archangel, and Iceman. And then you've got a hell, or not, uh, you got another predator in the background with uh, maybe some, I don't know, uh, mountains or something in the background. Well, the problem with that is that uh, Angel and Storm go over the logo which is behind them, which would not make any sense if it were a true reflection. Exactly. And that's why I think I never noticed that. I think the goal here is a reflection. I could be wrong, right? It could just be some X-Men in a collage with this helmet. No, I think you're right. Based on Colossus and Iceman. Yeah. Because parts of Colossus and Iceman uh, blend into the helmet the way that a reflection would. Right. But none of Storm and angel do storm's legs are cut off by the helmet but you're right the rest of her is not cut off in a way that you would you know symbolize like iceman's got little 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 white circles that could be sort of like sunspots or reflections or whatever and then like you said archangel is flying uh over the logo which means that when this was he's an afterthought i think he and storm are just afterthoughts i i can't tell if storm's legs are supposed to be bending in the way that this man's uh, Iceman and Colossus's bodies are bending into the helmet. Yeah. There's like a there's like a weird smudge. Mm-hmm. Could I guess be her legs, but I don't think they are. It could be a contour of this dude's helmet, or it could be Storm's leg. Um, I don't know. But uh, Ice or not Iceman, but uh, Archangel. And and the other thing that's weird about Archangel, he is behind Storm's hair, so she would have had to have been drawn. No, he would have had to have been drawn first. I don't know. And then with the X-Men logo, I feel like the X-Men logo itself is probably just uh, 90s equivalent of clip art. So they would have drawn the, the, the picture and then they would have slapped the uncanny X-Men on top of it. But then they put Archangel in front of the label. Yeah, I don't know. They, so he is a mystery. It's like maybe somebody came back from editorial and said there's not enough X-Men on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're like, really? You went with Colossus and Iceman? Can't you get somebody else on the cover? Nobody likes those characters. What about Bishop? We'll put him down in the corner. Bishop's new. We do, Nobody knows who he is. Look, we're going to need to get Storm and somebody else in there. Yeah, this is weird. Um, Much less for the fact that the design is clearly a predator and somebody should have stepped in and said, this just looks like you took a predator and kind of modified it. Yeah, you gave it like a mohawk and some ponytails or something, but uh, yep. So it's not a great cover. Predator couldn't have a, mo- a mohawk and some ponytails. And this is, uh, yeah. I was shocked when the alien in this takes its mask off and is not a predator. Like, <laughs> oh, what? What a letdown. <laughs> what, what's the point? Right. If you're going to do it, do it. Uh, yeah, so this is a uh, Will Sportacio cover. Will Sportacio. Did we decide on how we pronounce his name? I've always pronounced it Wills Portacio. Let's go. Uh, how about Wills Portacio? I'm going to do I, that. That's my pronunciation. I can, I can, like change from what I've always done as a child. When when we have something like Magneto or Magneto, <laughs> I can change. But right. for a dude's name, I feel like I got to go with my gut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the cover. Uh, open up this comic book here, and uh, we don't get any credits right away, but we do get sort of a prologue, if you will, a little history lesson of a Japanese island that's off the coast of Siberia in Russia, some contention around who owns the land, which is sort of more or less irrelevant to the story. Uh, wait, I got to say, I can't wait till John burns off this book. <laughs> it's <laughs> words john burns effects are felt uh fully here like his uh continuations onto 
different pages and whatnot. But uh, yeah, he does like he does like to put a lot of scripting in here. There's like so many word balloons that I don't. Does he is, does he feel like he needs to compensate for art that isn't telling the story, or does he just is he trying to be more like Chris Claremont? I don't know. I don't know. Because there is this, and maybe it'll come into play next issue, but I don't think it will. Uh, but there's sort of this forced uh, uh, um, conflict between Japanese and Russian people here. But it only plays out in like one panel, and then we, we go on with the action. So it didn't need to be there, but it is. So I guess the gist is that Russian scientists brought Japan to the awareness that there is a big hole in this island that's somewhere between Japan and Russia. Maybe and, maybe John Byrne was reading an encyclopedia one day because he's just a he's a learned guy and he's like, oh, well, this is interesting. The Sakhalin Islands. What an interesting history. Maybe. Hey, you know, I've got some some words I need to fill up in X Men two eighty four. Maybe I'll throw that in there. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mind that so much as all of the word balloons. You can give me as many of those like yellow explanation texts as you want. I'm fine with that. Although it does cover the entire like, <laughs> if Ospartesio drew something here, I wouldn't know. Yeah, there's two islands. It is 75% yellow descriptions, at, so maybe there's more islands. I have no idea. My point is, is and I, I'm fine also with the history. It, it adds a lot of um, you know context to your story and, and stuff like that. Uh, but if if he would have not brought in that exposition about the conflict between Japan and Russia for these islands, half of the word balloons in the first quarter of the comic could have been eliminated. But... It doesn't matter. What's happening here is that Sunfire's back, everybody, and he's got a brand new suit that's going to harness his power to bring him to power levels beyond anything he's ever seen before. And his lady friend, Hideko, she thinks he looks magnificent. Did she design the armor or was it Takashi-san who designed it? I think Takashi-san, or wait, who's who's Kobayashi-san? Oh, Kobayashi-san. Yeah, I think... Kobayashi-san designed the suit. I think Hideko is his love interest. I don't know <laughs> because he doesn't really care when what happens happens. But we'll, I guess there is a yellow box later on that's like that that led me to believe that they were an item. And oh. if I can remember to pull it out, I will. Yeah, there's a lot of word balloons to choose from. So <laughs> yeah. either way. Um, so he gets a new costume. It, this is a joint operation between the Russians and the Japanese because on this island, there is a giant pit. And the plan is that Sunfire is going to use his new suit and his powers, I guess, to basically blow a hole into this pit to figure out what's inside of it. What do you think of his new suit? Because I was kind of meh on it. I don't know. You know, they're trying to do a 90s thing. I feel like maybe Will's Portacio's doing his best Jim Lee or I don't know, whomever, because he's got a giant ponytail, red skin suit, uh, shoulder pads, giant shoulder pads. I don't mind the ponytail so much. I just, the, Will Sportacio goes on to do Cyber Force, so I feel like mm. it's his cyber take on Cyber Sunfire. Yeah, I mean, this, that's basically what's happening here is there's a bunch of cybernetics on the suit, which is going to help focus the power or something like that. There's nothing really iconic about it, in my opinion. I think you look yeah. at Sunfire's original costume and, you know, for the X-Men Learned, you'd be like, oh, that's Sunfire. If you were to put this as an action figure next to your X-Men lineup, you'd be like, I don't, I, who's that? that this looks like a suit that is kind of generic with some cyber modifications that aren't really symmetrical, therefore don't appear to be part of the suit. Right. It just looks like an add-on, so I'm. it feels like two suits. Yes. There's no cohesion between the two different parts of it. Yes. I like the boots, though. They're uh, suitably stupid. Yeah, the boots are good. Boots are fine. I, I don't know. I kind of don't mind the lack of symmetry, but there's the, the, the red and maroon tights don't have the cohesion needed to 
pull the whole costume together to give it uh, a memorable and iconic look. He just looks like a generic thug. It just feels unfinished, yeah. Yeah. So that's where we get the credits plotted and penciled by Will Sportatio, inked by R. Tebert, scripted by John Byrne, as mentioned, lettered by Michael Heisler, colored by Oliver Rosas. So Glennis Oliver and Tom Rosas. I think I say that every single time. Edited by Bob Harris, observed by Tom DeFalco, assisted by Scott Williams and Carl Al Stater. And that is a very obvious assist that we'll talk about when we get there. So Marvel Unlimited does not have the credits. Oh, interesting. I am uh, switched away. This has been kind of a fun experiment. Uh, for, for those of you that have been around the podcast for a long time, you'll know that I started reading the uh, 2005 CD, I think it was a CD-ROM release of the Uncanny X-Men. Uh, and then I switched over to X-Men Unlimited, which is was fine, but then I didn't, you know, I'm cheap and I don't want to pay for it anymore. So now I'm back to that collection, uh, which is awesome because that collection has advertisements and the letters pages and all sorts of uh, stuff like that. And I remember as I was reading this issue, because this is the first issue that I'm sort of going back to those old um, issues, the quality on them is not as good, right? Because it's basically... Uh, Marvel scanned in the original comic books, so you get like all the dots and whatnot. So it's more authentic, I guess. Whereas Marvel Unlimited, I think, is a lot easier on the eyes. Um, the thing I wanted to do over the years, and I lost sight of it because I went to Marvel Unlimited, was I wanted to track the evolution of video game advertisements. <laughs> um, so for those of you keeping score, uh, we're in a phase right now where Wolverine for the Nintendo Entertainment System is being heavily advertised. (laughs) Wolverine for the NES is not great, but it's better than the X-Men for NES, which is terrible. Those are both LJN games, right? Yeah. LJN not known for producing a single good game, as I recall. I think they've actually, in the Super Nintendo phase, there's, there's one or two, because... I guess the history is LJN like subcontracted a lot of their stuff. So quality was generally missed, but every now and again, they'd get to a studio that could put something together and you'd be surprised. Like, Oh, this game's actually good. It's few and far between, but Wolverine's not one of them. They do seem to get every IP. Yeah. Well, no, probably back in the day, somebody there figured out how easy it was to license video games. And I'm sure it was cheap at that time to license comic characters for their video games. Anyways, uh, so yeah. To the Epic Collection, uh, X-Men Bishop's Crossing, in order to see what the credits were, because I was like, this feels like John Byrne, but I just need to verify it. Hmm. Look, that was nearby, so I pulled it out, and uh, yeah, it was definitely John Byrne. Does the Epic Edition have ads and letters, or just oh, letters? It's, it's, just, it's similar to the uh, Marvel Unlimited version, in that okay. it's rescanned. Um, but it's on, it's printed on paper, so it has a little bit more, uh, less digitalism. It, it feels more like a comic book, I guess. Gotcha. Well, anyways, uh, Sunfire, he flies up in the air and unleashes all of his powers. So there's lots of swirls and, I don't know, bubbles. And apparently it's, it's a lot of power, more power than he's ever felt before in his life. Yeah, the captions make a lot of note of how much more power it is than before. Yeah, and uh, we don't see it, but, well, I guess we do on the top left hand of this two-page spread, people that look like they're kind of wearing AIM suits, but the dialogue box goes on to say that I think everybody else down there, there's a Russian guy, there's Hideko, some other guys, they all put their suits on, and they're even they're sort of blinded by their sun shields and their visors. A lot of, a lot of telling and not showing. And that's where we get a little bit of Russian versus Japanese sort mm-hmm. of thing where Sunfire hasn't really changed. He's very pro-Japanese. He's like, I'm helping you guys because this affects Japan. But if push comes to shove, I have uh, no interest in Russia at all. Right. Which is more or less what he was in, uh, you know, giant size X-Men and yeah. first few issues there. It was like, I this affects Jap- Japan, so I'm with you. But otherwise. Has not changed. Exactly. And that's fine. It's fine. He's he's ja- uh, he's Japan's hero. Yeah. So he's firing into the pit, and there's some dude, I don't know who he is, but he's like, oh my gosh, the readings, they're off the scale. Never seen anything like this, which is weird because... Yashi-san. Is it? it? 
I, I don't know, but I'm guessing it is because he's he's there. Yeah, let, let's go with Kobayashi-san. Um, I just was reading that when he, and he's like, they're off the scale. Never seen anything like this. I mean, isn't that obvious? They're they're staring at like a a, a mysterious pit. Sunfire's got a brand new suit. He's using powers he's never used before. Isn't all of this something he's never seen before? That's true. <laughs> I'm nitpicking, but there seems to be some forced drama here because this guy yeah, should be it, like. There's a lot of unnecessary dialogue. Yeah, this is amazing. I've never. Yeah, I don't know. Never seen anything like this. It's as if the Void was responding to Sunfire's assault, adapting its own frequencies to watch his and return fire. So its explanation is like, hey, uh, because if you look at the, the pictures, mm-hmm. you can't really tell what's going on. It kind of looks like he bounces off the uh, yeah the pit. But in the previous panel, we don't actually ever see him firing at the pit. We just see him in a big display of powers, sort of shooting downward. And then we get all this dialogue. He's like, he's shooting at the pit, right? Uh, and then he, I guess, is repelled uh, from the pit. Yeah, so the the pit matches his power and spits it back at him, knocking him away. And I guess it kills everybody, right? Or is uh, that... I can't remember. Yeah. Maybe. I think we're going to come back to that. So, yeah, the, they're getting stronger. Look, look, the void, it's changing, uh, maybe Kobayashi-san says. And then we continue to the next page where, in true uh, John Byrne fashion, dear Lord, something's coming up. But we're actually on a panel of the X-Men. I, I think John Byrne has done this way better because usually when he does it, it's like a good double meaning. Yeah. Yeah. This has no double meaning. Dear Lord, something's coming out. Well, I mean, Gene is pointing at Peter's nose. So, dear <laughs> Lord, maybe something's coming out of that thing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's not a great transition, but, uh, you know, you could make it work if you use your imagination. Turns out, though, from the battle last time around, Peter's fine. He has a broken nose, and apparently he sounds a little stuffy. Okay. Iceman, who usually the Joker is like, hey, Gene... This is important. We got to talk about how you were dead for a little bit. Yeah, she makes a joke about how, uh, I'm sorry, Bobby, but there's not much more I can tell you. Uh, Where is it? If I come back from the dead one more time, I'll be in serious danger of turning into some kind of walking cliche. Too late, by the way. And uh, I mean, it's nice to be self-aware, but. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, she can't really remember anything she the professor is like i'm not satisfied we need to keep talking about this yeah this is weird (laughs) i'm sorry gene i know this has been a terribly traumatic experience for you but i'm afraid i cannot and let the discussion end here so much we need to know that whole thing could be gone we could just cut to there is much we need to know yeah exactly then we go to the next panel and uh one of these panels um, I think it's his first page here uh, with Iceman and, and Angel. I'm realizing that Angel has his cowl back, and it made me wonder, is this the first, not the first time we're seeing this, but is this, have we seen this in the pages of X-Factor, or is this a revelation in Uncanny X-Men? The cowl? The fact that he has hair, and it was covered up by a cowl. Um... I don't know. I'd have to go back to really dig that up. I I, I don't recall. I don't either, but I, I did go back to X-Men 281 just because that would have been a natural reveal of all of our characters. And there is a background shot of Angel sort of in his suit. He's, uh, he's kind of grayish because he's in the shadows and his hair is out there. So at least okay. in the pages of the Uncanny X-Men, as far as I'm aware, this is the first sort of full-on Angel has blonde hair. Because if you read X-Factor, after the events with Apocalypse, he never takes his cowl off. You might even just assume it's not a cowl and he's just bald and that's all just tattooed onto him. But I just couldn't remember if in the pages of X-Factor, late before this whole switch up, if he'd been blonde. Well, whoever made that decision, it's iconic and it looks great. Yeah, no, it's super smart. Okay, so in X-Men 282... I think they're all suited up in 282 and 283. Uh, we do see his blonde hair in 282, but okay. he's shirtless. Okay. Uh, for whatever reason, his shirt must have been blasted off, but he's walking around uh, looking all muscly, and we see his. So I wonder if they were like, 
Uh, we we threw off his shirt and we kind of like the way this looks. So let's make that headpiece a cowl. Yeah, smart. I never liked the cowl. I never liked that initial apocalypse design, anyways, with the with a bald head. Um, the, but once you take the cowl off, put the blonde hair on, it's like yeah, the, the, the whole thing now works for me. Oh yeah, in two eighty two when he gets his suit back, there's the cowl. So yeah, he just never puts the cowl back on. Okay. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Maybe that's how it went. There's somebody listening right now that's like, you idiots. It was X-Factor 87. Probably. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, the professor's not going to let this go, as we mentioned. Uh, so then we get a lot of word balloons on a big, not great panel of Storm. Uh, so Storm, Storm, yeah, no, the the drawings of everybody on this whole page get weird. Like Professor X looks bad in the corner. Um, everybody's maybe stretched a bit too wide or long. I think Emma uh-huh. looks fine. I mean, from the side angle, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Charles, you don't know how much I wish I could say. Oh, no, this is what Jean Grey says. Yep. Charles, you don't know how much I wish I could say more, but I feel like a blind woman trying to describe color. It's like, how does anybody describe color? <laughs> that's, that's, a good, that's a good question. It's a bad analogy. It'd be like asking a blind woman to describe the details of a train or something. I don't know. Or a painting. Yeah. Maybe. That's, that's, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, that just bugged me. And I'm not sure that blind people don't actually see color because I think they might. I don't know. They might just see blotches of color. I think it really depends on the level of blindness and that stuff like that. And maybe they should have said a colorblind woman. It's a bad example because, I mean, is there any evidence that the way I interpret red is the same way you interpret red. Right. Exactly. It's just the color, I guess, is the absence of light or, well, it's, it's varying degrees of black is the absence of white, the absence of light. So color is varying degrees of light. Right. Of things. So that's my terrible description of color. Yeah. It seems like it was clever in the moment. It seems like, right. Not a well thought out analogy, but, I'm sure when John Byrne wrote, he's like, yeah, this is interesting. Blah, blah, blah. What a great idea I have. And then 30 years later, we're like, this is stupid. <laughs> that's a stupid. bad analogy, John Byrne. You failed. Anyway. So. That was my problem. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, and Jean goes on. She's like, you know, I was just about to die. And there was a moment of tranquility. And right there, I knew that in order to save myself. Um, I could just transfer myself into somebody else's body. I think they go on to wonder whether or not White Queen could have had something to do with it, allowed her to kind of do this, but then the White Queen's personality, that might be somewhere else. They yeah, don't know. They, they, I'm assuming that's what happened because the professor says, yeah, that makes sense because I didn't detect a powerful telepath like that dying, and I feel like I would have been aware. I kind of wish... Uh, that these guys would have had the dignity to put a blanket on Emma Frost. I mean, she's just there with her teddy. And I know it's her costume, but, <laughs> like, throw a nice blanket over her. She's probably cold. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm sure it's not super warm in the Blackbird. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I, I didn't even know where they were, to be honest. Uh, they're in a sh- they're in a, a ship, as we see later. But is it the Blackbird? It might not even be the Blackbird. I think it's the Blackbird. And now that I look at the previous page where Forge is kind of in the front, it definitely Definitely looks like he's in the cockpit. But to be honest, I thought they were at the mansion for a good portion of this issue. And then all of a sudden they were in a plane. Because as we transition from that, uh, well, the professor's like, open up your mind. Everybody, Gene, help me. Let's let's try to figure out what's going on with uh, Emma Frost, see if we can detect anything. And then we get all this dialogue of like, the X-Men grow silent. There's an electricity in the air. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Uh, but then an alert goes off and Forge is like, hey, something just came across the worldwide frequency monitor, which is a, apparently a part of the Blackbird. Yeah. <laughs> it's a distress call. Uh, something about some aliens. No, did I read that right? I thought they said alien invasion. I must have misheard it because, you know, that's something like that has never happened in our universe before. Well, now he says, yeah, you're right. No. Did I read that right? I thought they said alien invasion. Must have misheard it. Well, are you listening or are you reading, Forge? Because <laughs> <laughs> if you're reading it, you probably have a scroll back function and you could reread it. 
And if you heard it, probably everybody else in the cockpit heard it too. Maybe he means read it as in heard it. <laughs> well, I mean, Storm is right next to her. She or him, he could be like, she could be like, yeah, no, it's aliens. I heard, I heard that too. So in X Men two eighty one, and also uh, X Men number five, because I'm still looking into this. Uh, Warren is in a suit because oh. he's going to the uh, the Hellfire Club. Yeah. And we see his hair there, too. In 281, but you don't see, like, a full-page spread of him. He's just kind of in the background. He's in the background. But his hair is out, yeah. You do see his hair being out, and uh, it's not – it's it's more tucked in. Like right. He doesn't, especially in X-Men number five, it's very it's, – it's like a it's like a, cro- a close cut. Right. Um, it's not it's not cool like this. I I prefer this sort of mullety. Uh, it, yeah, it's like uh, long flowing locks of hair. Yeah, it looks it looks pretty sweet. Yep. Storm decides that there's no time for any of this. There's people in help who need help, and we're the only ones that can provide that help. So set a course. <laughs> but meanwhile, as we're on our way, don't do this either. <laughs> what, it's like. You could be doing this while you're on your way. Yeah, yeah. Like, how long is it going to take to get to Russia? I don't know. And is she in charge or is the professor in charge? Well, she's in charge when it comes to... I think she's in charge when it comes to... Field missions, of course. Yeah, exactly. So she has authority over the professor in this matter. I don't know. It's it's the professor's money. (laughs) I mean, the professor goes along with it, so... He does. He's like, okay. I mean, actually, you don't even see him. It's just... Shutting down, he's out pouting in the corner. I was so close. Sort of seems out of character for Storm to just be like... I don't feel like John Byrne has a good handle on any of these characters, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Maybe Sunfire? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because Sunfire is kind of a cliche. Yeah, that's true. He has one quality. Yeah, one personality trait. So, meanwhile... Uh, at the Shulkin Islands, two hours later, okay, so some time did pass. There was a, a bit of time that I was trying to figure out where it came from, but there it is. Probably everybody's dead, Adam. Although there's some people on the ground with their suits the bad firing. Guys that have emerged from the pit are shooting at something. Oh, those are the bad guys. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure they're shooting at <laughs> here it is at the bottom of this page here it says uh the power crackles about him once again the living fury of the life-giving sun focused by the burning memory of his last sight of hideko tokara whatever before she was brutally cut down so i guess that doesn't necessarily mean they were lovers yeah i don't know but it um be, it could be either way it seems kind of weird that he would bring his girlfriend on a potentially dangerous mission but maybe they didn't think it was dangerous i don't know it's comic so it could be like girl girlfriend slash suit scientist yeah that's true but um let's just go with coworker. but he doesn't seem all that upset no about- well that's what i was wondering because like the problem with this issue is a lot of the dialogue doesn't really match what's happening in the artwork so it, we don't really see what the bad guys are shooting at. They're just shooting at something. And I think this is the problem with Will Sportacio. <laughs> One guy may have been shooting at where Sunfire was. But yeah. the other two guys, I don't know what they're... Well, I know what they're shooting at. We find out later. Okay. Sort of. But we also find out later that disrupting the ground is bad. They're not shooting at the ground. So, but they're shooting... I mean, it kind of looks like they're shooting at the area slightly above the ground. Yes, but they're not shooting at the ground. Okay. <laughs> All right. These creatures that rose from the cursed pit are like nothing that has walked this earth before. That's not necessarily true. They look like dudes. Yeah, they've got arms and legs and heads. What would make this more effective is an establishing shot of what emerged from the pit so that us, the audience, could be like, oh, my God. Gosh, how is Sunfire going to be able to deal with this situation? But yeah, we get that on the next page, so it's it kind of feels like that should have come first, right? So yeah, there's the shooting in random directions. Sunfire, I guess, is just like I'm going to avenge those who have been slain, and I won't let what happened to me before happen again, right? And then uh, he sees one of the guys. Uh, he's going to stop those murderers, but then they shoot him. Yes. The predator looking people. And then we get sort of our reveal, the establishing shot. They've got 
arm knives and cannons and, like you said, a predator mask. The arm knife is very predator-esque. Mm-hmm. The, arm, the arm cannon is kind of neat. I like that his entire arm is just basically a cannon. A cannon. Yeah, it's kind of like a Metroid Samus. But there's yeah. no uh, there's no shoulder um, gun, so that's where the differences are. <laughs> that, that's it. That's yeah. the difference. <laughs> they got bigger boots than a predator, too. Okay. And it's really more sci-fi kind of costume than uh like a, it's more of a spacesuit. at first i just based on the design of like the teeth and the eyes here i was like oh i wonder if these are like evolved brood because that'd be kind of neat yeah that that could be i mean the brood were basically ripping off aliens, aliens yeah. so now we're ripping off predator and then just put the brood in a predator suit say they've evolved and now you've ripped off two ips in, in one uh, shot oh, but that would have been awesome they didn't do that spoilers no, we we get to see one of their faces, and it's very disappointing. Yeah, this one in the foreground uh, is like the last attacker is down, but the power was great. His power was great. So I guess they're gonna kill Sunfire. They're gonna kill Sunfire, um, and then somebody says, "Dar and Karnak, who dares?" Right, because I, I think somebody gets shot in the back in the previous panel. You see some energy occur above this character as I think the character is about to slice open Sunfire. Yeah, I don't I, – I like in the in the panel where he says to R and Karnak, we see Angel in the reflection of his eye goggles. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't even notice that. So I guess he's reacting to Angel flying in. Oh, that could be. Kind of weird. Who dares fly at me? Yeah, so when he says, farewell, warrior, draw solace if you can, and knowing that you are but the first to, eh, he notices something coming towards him rather than... I think that charge in the background is his his backpack, because if you look yeah. at the panel above, the other guy also has a similar backpack charge. I agree. Um, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't know. Like in the previous page, there's no backpack charge. Gene says, the X-Men dare... Don't know who you are or where you come from, but Sunfire's a friend of ours. And when you attack the X-Men's allies, you attack the X-Men. Who? Says Storm. Look at these things. I couldn't have thought, but they're even uglier up close. I feel like that's a Predator reference. Oh, yeah. Because yep. they're not really ugly. They look like dudes in a costume. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. The, the the Predator says, I find your own misshapen features no more pleasing to your eye than mine, which makes more no sense after we find out what they look like. Yep. Except maybe that he's blue. Right. Maybe blue is really awful on there. Oh, it's disgusting. It's the color of their excrement. <laughs> uh, don't count on that friend. You don't scare me with that buzz box voice. So we don't know. Uh, oh, so they pound like this? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Angel flies straight up in the the sky, probably maybe to drop this character. Um, Your natural element is the air. Good, I shall deny it to you. And they use a uh, their their boots have some sort of claws that grapple into the ground. Mm-hmm. Some kind of clamps says we're in clamps which anchor me winged one and return to me the advantage of this battle. And he flips Angel down onto the ground in an awesome panel. Archangel's down, says Storm. And then we get a, a shot of a predator. Is Archangel really down? <laughs> I mean, he was flipped over. I mean, he looks, he's, looks, he, okay, he's, A, he's dazed. he should be fine. And B, he, he is all right there. He's dazed. I guess. Um, Gene hits one of these with a psychic blast and uh, she reasons that since they're sentient uh, that she can use her psychic blasts on them. But she doesn't apparently get the chance because she's left herself in the open and she gets shot. Their thought patterns too alien. I can't track. Yeah. Another one of them shoots her with a bad, I don't know, purple blaster. She falls maybe. Yeah. We don't actually see what happens to her. (laughs) Maybe she dies. (laughs) Primate. Your condition, question mark, primate. So primate is either a name or it's a, like, station. Yeah. When I read this, because all of a sudden now we're, we're halfway through the comic and this one character just keeps saying primate. I was wondering if 
they were referring to the X-Men, right? Because... No, we get two names of two of the aliens, and uh, Primate is the one who got knocked down by... Yeah, so you're telling me that we got Da'ar, Ernak, and Primate? Those those are just their gods. Oh, okay. One of these characters is named... An alien character's name is Primate. Da'ar and Ernak may not be names. They could also just be, like, swear words. Oh, sure, sure. That, definitely. In which case, we should put a, a, a swear warning on this. Yeah. That actually would have been clever if in Air and Karnak they put a couple like asterisks and pounds in there. Yeah, <laughs> been like, yeah. Oh, we can't aliens swear in this comic. Uh, yeah, you're right. There's no evidence uh, of what Air and Karnak are, but apparently one of these guys is named Primate. Yeah. So and we get another name later, uh, which also sounds like it could be a position in their army or something. Sure. I don't know if primate's a name or if it's just like that guy's the primate. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. So an air fire or an airship is firing. It's the Blackbird. So I guess what happened is the Blackbird flew in, dropped off most of the X Men except for Colossus, the Professor, and Forge, and then I don't know did some circles, and now it's it's coming in for an attack run. It's shooting, and it uh, Colossus jumps out. Their attack is wild, unfocused. It can only be a divisionary tactic. Sure is. Oh, Primate, Primate's on okay, by the way. He says, I'm undamaged. But where do these new arrivals come from? They were not part of the original dot, dot, dot. Primate, behold. Why yeah. is his name Primate? That's just his name, man. It's stupid. <laughs> Canine, come here. <laughs> Feline, come here. All right, well, whatever. So Colossus goes barreling into these predators, knocks them over. Maybe he's, it's like his superhero name. Well, yeah. His real name's Da'an Da'ar. Yeah. Uh, uh, Forge is declaring victory already. He's like, yeah, they're pulling back. But the professor, he knows better. He's like, I counsel caution still, Forge. As Gene reported, their minds are too alien for me to decipher. We cannot be sure what their plan might. Colossus! Something ha- oh, Colossus gets blasted by a guy in the background. Oh yeah, I didn't. I just saw Colossus turn gold, and yeah. I thought they turned him into like a statue or something, which could but have been neat. They shot him. Yeah, they just shot him in the back. And then Sunfire shows up and says, "I'm going to help you, Colossus. You fool." <laughs> yes, my blast could not kill the armored one, but catching it unaware, I have no adjunct. Is adjunct a character? Adjunct is the other guy. Oh my god. You are injured. I will say. And again, I don't. These could be like positions or code names or who knows. Sure, uh, but primate, I wish to return. I guess adjunct says yes. We must withdraw. See already, the first outsider we encountered has moved to rescue his armored champion. That sunfire. He flies in. He's like you, dumb Russian. Foolish Russian to hurl yourself unprepared. Can I do like a George Takai, or is that? Is that <laughs> Uh, I don't know. That might be a little... You do whatever you want to. I don't know what's problematic anymore. Oh, my. Oh, my. To hurl yourself unprepared into the hornet's nest. I don't do a good George guy. All right. Uh, yours would be... Uh, these strangers had come close to, to besting my power. Yours would be a little against them. I see your... I see your ego is undiminished, hero. I hope it will remain so... Uh, Cut to the next page when we have finished our dealings with these monsters. Monsters? Storm? We should not be so quick to judge, Peter. Blah, 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 blah. People, people, blah, blah, blah. Living sentience, blah, blah, prejudice, blah, blah. Iceman, shoot him. Iceman, they retreated to the rim of the pit. See that they do not push for it again. You got it, boss lady. And it's like, uh, I guess they're dropping the whole thing was like, Cyclops would have ordered me to do that like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he doesn't. They're, they dropped that. <laughs> Maybe it's over. It would have been nice <laughs> if they'd have kept it, like just continuing distrust from uh, Iceman and Angel. I don't know about the storm lady. It was a one issue thing. Yeah. He's totally on board. You got it, boss lady. My patented ice wall will hold them back since I can reform it fast as fast as they can knock it down. And they will knock it down. Everybody knocks it down. God, I'm so pathetic. So this is just a, a random aside 
Um, when Storm says, see to it, they do not push forward again. This reminded me of a, a thing that I've been trying to, not really trying to incorporate, but something I thought would be funny to incorporate into my daily speaking, uh, which would probably be taken completely wrong and, and people would just hate me. But I, I thought it'd be funny. Um, I used to have a boss that would, you know, he'd say, could you make sure that you do the blah, blah, blah. And you'd be like, I don't do the blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like, see that you do. So I was like, I wonder if I enter or if I finish every request with see that you do, how that would be taken. Right. So it could be like, honey, could you give me the remote control? Yes, I'll get it. And then I respond with see that you do. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of aggressive. (laughs) Could you pass me the salt? Yes. See that you do. (laughs) Cause I don't know. It's just, it's just reemphasizing. It's kind of a jerk thing to say. It depends. It's it's tough to get away with because how do you say it where it doesn't sound like pretentious? Well, see that you do to me in that context is like I'm asking you to do a thing. You have failed me in the past, but now you have told me that you're going to do it. So then I reemphasize with see that you do. But if I just threw that randomly in there, could you get me that pencil? Yeah, I'll get that. See that you do. <laughs> like, what is your problem? If you do it enough, I think people will just be like, oh, that's just a stupid thing. That's just a thing he does. He thinks it's funny, but it's really irritating. <laughs> so, you anyways. See how it goes. <laughs> I don't know that it would go over well. Um, anyways. And when you, whenever you say, see that you do, you push up your glasses. <laughs> see that you do. I don't know if that works. I could pull my glasses off and say, see that you do. Okay. Yeah. That's an extra emphasis when you pull your glasses off and say something. Oh, anyways. Um, there is much about this affair which puzzles and disturbs me. What is in that pit and why do they fight so hard to protect it? Until we have answers to these questions, I do not wish to see them harmed, says Storm. Uh, and Forge apparently wasn't listening because he fires eight missiles. They're concussion blasts only. We certainly won't kill them, but I don't want them to have headaches. Yeah. Um, the predators, until I have a better name for them, that's what I'm going to call them. The predators uh, have to, well, they say their target is the barrier, so the target isn't us. Right. So this is where I got confused. I don't know what the barrier is. Well, the barrier, I think, is the, the pit that Sunfire oh. shot into. So... Forge fires concussion blasts, which won't kill our nasty little playmates. But apparently he's aiming at the ground. But he's aiming at the ground behind them, which is where the barrier is. I don't know if this is what Will Spartacio intended and John Burns just right. I don't know, because it's, it's very confusing. Yeah. I I mean, I guess you don't hit people you don't want to kill directly in the face with missiles, even if they're just concussion blasts. So why are you firing concussion blasts at a barrier? Because it's close to them? I don't Because <laughs> it, I don't know, it just seems like you'd, it doesn't even really matter because these guys blow up those missiles. So if you want to increase the stakes, just be like, they're deadly nuclear missiles that we're going to fire at the barrier, professor. Well, It'll- they're they're trying to communicate that the barrier this is something we haven't really had communicated yet is that if you shoot the pit it things bad things will happen do we know that i mean i guess we know that it's that we're learning that like right now okay so sunfire fired at it and it fired back but we i don't know i assumed anyways that what was firing back was actually these predator guys and i i think that that is what wills protasio and john Byrne intended but i don't I, know I, I think i i i don't know i mean <laughs> There's there's a lot going on here that will not get resolved possibly until the next issue because uh, we don't learn what any of these people are or what any of this is. Spoilers. Uh, not really spoilers since I'm spoiling that things don't get resolved. Right. Um, but yeah, they destroy the missiles because they don't want any of the missiles to hit the ground. And then Storm says, this makes no sense. On the attack run, the, blade, the Blackbird was an obvious target, as am I. Yet they concentrate on protecting the pit, even at the cost of their own lives. And one of them does get hit by one of the missiles that was not intended to hit them. Or kill them because it's just a concussion missile. Uh, And I guess their armor blew off and Adjunct is dead? Adjunct! Adjunct falls into the... No, wait. Adjunct 
falls down and someone else falls into the pit. So that must be the unnamed guy. Wait, oh. Assuming primate says adjunct. Because okay. you wouldn't kill off primate. So this is Dakar. <laughs> Are you... Sh- I guess there's no way to really know. No, In the first panel, two people get hit. One person loses all of their armor, it looks like. One in the next panel, one person falls to the ground and the other person falls in the pit. So, okay, the person that falls in the pit isn't dead because in the next page, that person is in the pit saying, Primate, yeah. my innervator unit is damaged. Blow your damn, blow your dampers, says Primate. Hurry before Stroom. So that, uh, okay, so Primate is the person whose face mask now blows up. Shroom, by the way, great, great, great sound effect. Shroom. Shroom. Uh, blows up into primates. Blows her ma- or, yeah, blows her mask off, by the way, it's a her. Um and if you if you wanted that double down, when Angel lands, he says, A woman! It's, it's a, a woman! woman. <laughs> because in the nineties, you know Because I don't fight alongside two very powerful women. <laughs> right. I'm shocked that we've been fighting a woman this whole... I mean, that, that was the, the thing to do in the 90s is the bait and switch was like, this uh, powerful creature is actually a woman. Can you believe it? Remember in uh, Solo? Yeah. The, the Solo Star Wars movie with Han Solo, <laughs> where the... I forget what... Infant's Nest. <laughs> I had pulled that out of my butt. Wow. Enfys uh, Nest reveals herself to be a woman and the camera cuts to her like it's like oh it's a woman i don't remember that is that at the beginning or is that at the end it's somewhere towards the end okay it's it's after the after we've seen Enfys nest do a whole bunch of things and we're like oh my gosh it's a woman there was a night it was it was it was stupid because it was doing that stupid oh my gosh it's a woman thing sure it wasn't bad because like it felt stupid whereas <laughs> It was like, oh, well, this isn't necessary. Why couldn't it have been a woman all along? Yeah. So I feel like as an audience, we moved to a place. But as filmmakers, they were still trying to do old, stupid things. <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, this this reveal that a woman is doing things. I think it was it w- probably this was the high time of it here in the 90s. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a 90s cliche or trope or whatever. But I think the more interesting reveal would have been that they're humanoid, that they're not ugly monsters because earlier, right? Somebody's like, Oh, you're hideous. Yeah. Oh, it turns out this is like a, a beautiful purple haired bionic woman. Why do you wear such hideous masks? (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to pick up any dudes that way. (laughs) And so they go to primates and she's like, you fools, you've created a mechanism of your own doom. Get away. The pit's Sunfire, opening. Sunfire points out that it's a child, which it doesn't look like a child from this drawing. That's but right. It's kind of interesting that it's a kid. Yeah. Look again, Worthington. It's not a woman. It's a girl. Barely more than a child. Yeah. yeah so then the child says, fools, you've created the mechanism of your own doom. Get away. Flee while you can. There is almost no time. I can feel the energy in the pit. Feel it building. Soon, very soon, it will open. Turns out that... These people were here to – why are they here? They're here not to defend the pit but to save the planet from the pit. We they, they It was you we fought to protect your world from the pit? Yes. So it's another one of those – nobody stopped to ask who are you, but – Well, yeah, to be fair, I mean the aliens did kill a lot of people. They, whether or not they intended to, like it, it was probably Sunfire's fault. Right. I think Sunfire blasted into the pit. The pit fired back, melting everybody. I don't know where these alien people came from, but then they showed up. In the pit. They were in the pit? Uh, that's what, uh, when, when, right before we cut to the X-Men, the last thing was like, there, something is coming out of the pit. Oh, yeah, yeah. These creatures that rose from that cursed pit are like nothing that have walked this earth before. Yeah. Except they are exactly like what has walked this earth before. Humanoid ladies. Legs and a head. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, the pit then explodes with a scree noise. Scree or shree. Sorry, shree. And the pit wall collapses and sucks everybody into the pit with 
atmospheric disturbance that is far more than the storm's power can control. Bobby, Peter, Gene, fight for yourselves! Or blessed goddess, I fear we are truly doomed. And um, I I guess they all get sucked in and there's like an explosion? Yeah. Or I guess it's a black hole. It's hard to draw a black hole, I guess. So Energy is either being pushed outward or sucked inward. Either way, the X-Men are now sucked into that pit. Some turbulence is causing it difficult to for Forge to keep the plane level. Gravimetric flux growing right off the scale. It's a dimensional vortex pulling the whole landscape. Black hole. And the professor says, I can find no trace of the X-Men. It is as if they are vanished from the face of the Earth. And if that vortex continues to expand at this present rate, within a matter of days, all the world will join them. Days, Jeremy. Days. Yeah. So in order to cover the entire Earth in a matter of days, that thing's got to be moving pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, within a matter of hours, like all of Siberia is going to be pulled in. So these are some pretty incredibly high stakes. So this is where we switch to the assist artwork. Is that what this is? This is uh, Art T-Bear is on the inking now? Uh, I don't think Will Sportacio is drawing. So I think it's... Uh, who, who? I think it's Will Sportacio drawing. I think it's just we have a different inker now. Well, Scott Williams and Carl Alice Stater. I would say that those two are on the pencils and the inks. Okay. There's no evidence one way or the other, but the artwork is diff- way different. But it's the uh, it's the the Kill Kilroy guys, whoever those guys are. Yeah, it's the guys from last issue that came through the portal. What's that dude's name? Apparently, some of them escaped. Um, Killjoy, Bishop. No, uh, who's the bad guy? I mean, Fitzroy. He says, "Yeah, Fitzroy." So Fitzroy. Well, we learn also through this vignette, if you will, that there's no telling how many people Fitzroy pulled through. And so Bishop and his little squad are on a cleanup mission. And there's like these three metal punk rock dudes, hair metal dudes that are drinking and and, and torturing, having a good old evil time. And Bishop and his guys are like, kill him. And so they do. They give him a chance. They say, hey, we can turn you into the proper authorities, which is a weird thing for Bishop to say. Like, Does he know what the proper authorities of this time are? Right. Can they hold these guys? Yeah, who would be the proper authorities to deal with future evil people? But yeah. Blow it out your ear, Bishop. If we're stuck, we aim to be stuck on top. And then they just shoot him. Wrong answer, Bishop <laughs> says. Like, all awesome. Did they not see it coming? Yeah, right. Uh, and they kill him. Kill all three of these characters. Blasted Bishop. Is there no other way? Don't go soft on me now, Malcolm. Oh, wait, what was I going to say? It was Idris Elba. Uh, I'm not doing it now. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll I'll be more prepared next time. And I got kind of confused. Not that it really matters, but this person that's dead in the middle sort of has like a, a female shape. But that's true. In the previous panels, they're clearly barrel-chested, muscular men. Somebody forgot what they were drawing. Maybe. Uh, And I don't know. That's sort of an implication that they had their way and tortured some lady uh, who's now dead. Yeah, Randall walks into, I guess, the bar that the three gentlemen came out of. And uh, we we only see one woman who is dead. But the implication is, yeah, that there's men and women both. It's the worst I've seen. It's only the tip of the iceberg. It's only the tip of the iceberg. We have exact figures to our how many Fitzroy pulled through our timeline. No, that's terrible. Uh, we we only know they'll behave no differently here than they did in the future, and that's why we have to be as cold, as cruel, as utterly heartless as they are, if humankind has any hope of surviving. The stakes are so high that I just don't care. You've got to murder everybody. It's uh, this 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 for me was like the issue where I was kind of like I'm not really into this. No, I um, and like I've said, probably each time we've read an issue of Uncanny X Men, I don't remember this <laughs> at all. Um, didn't even remember that Sunfire was in the issue or what he did or this entire storyline. So I'm going back in time and I'm putting myself in my. 16 or 17 year old body i just got this issue i'm sitting in the back seat of your mom's car i flipped through it 
got home, bagged and boarded it, and never looked at it again. That's <laughs> what I'm guessing. Because I feel like, I don't know, I, I collected until, like, the good people left. Air quote, good people. Yeah. So, but I'm with you. Like, I'm reading this, and I'm like, this is not my uncanny X-Men. Like, they're... It's it's possible that all the things they're setting up could go somewhere interesting, but right now, it all just feels. Uh, and I think it's the writing, to be honest. It just feels off a little bit, and it it feels like they're trying to force something down my throat that isn't as interesting as they want it to be. You think that's a Will's Portacio thing or a John Byrne thing? I think, I think it's a John Byrne thing, but I think it's also a Will's Portacio kind of learning curve thing oh sure um yeah i i think maybe what i would say is that in the hands of a a chris claremont right there's a lot of time to breathe sort of establish a lot of this stuff like the x-men could be having a hellions or a hellfire club battle right now but sort of intermixed with those pages you could see sort of the the pit and establish it and people start scientists start showing up and like there's only one thing to do we got to call sunfire and then the x-men wrap up their hellfire club adventure and then meet up with sunfire because they get a call from sunfire like hey uh, strange things are happening can you come over to japan They're like we'd love to sunfire we miss you and some of this just has more time to breathe they're know, kind of doing that with the Bishop storyline. They're just sort yes. of peppering that in every issue where that's fine. That's building up to something. Although we like, we kind of already know what it's building up towards. I don't remember what it builds up to. Well, I, it, we know that Fitzroy's let a whole bunch of people into this world oh, and that right. we need to send them back or kill, kill them. them. Yeah. So that, that seems to be the gist of it, whether or not there's more to it. I don't know. We'll find out. I mean, obviously the X-Men are going to, confront bishop at some point um but meanwhile they're going on this kind of fantastic forest mystery mission which i'm fine with but it's kind of like i don't know it, it really doesn't feel like it's going anywhere for me and i feel like maybe i'll be wrong maybe having read these as a kid and not remembering barely anything it feels like this didn't really stick with me and i can and it's hard to tell why a story doesn't work but this just doesn't really – it didn't work for me then and it led to me quitting the book. Yeah. And it isn't really working for me now. Well, but as an adult, I'm more open to being – like giving some flexibility for stories to get somewhere. But I don't know. Story, pacing, character development. Yeah. Arcs. This feels like the beginning of an arc. But I feel like – it's going to end next issue. Well, I, yeah, and I also just kind of mean like, you know, character developments. Um, I think the whole Russian thing, like they brought in the Russians because I thought they wanted to introduce Peter's brother. I oh, thought, right. I remember something like that. Sure. So I don't know if that ties into that or something. And that's why they brought in Russians. So it seems like they're doing I mean, they're doing a thing. It's just it doesn't appeal to me, I guess. I think. The the first thing that immediately comes to, immediately comes to my mind is that you know we've kicked off these new series uh, reboot of Uncanny X Men the X Men story, and I think the direction from the editors are action. Yeah, hit them with action, lots and lots of action and awesome artwork. But the immediate thing that sprung to my mind as you're talking about that, and I'm kind of thinking about character development, is that back in the golden age of the Uncanny X Men, there was an issue where Rogue went to the mall and got um uh got a what, what do you call um, uh oh my a, gosh. a makeover right i mean there was just a moment of character building and she kind of thought about her life and it's like i'd never get pampered like this this is so nice and then it led to like some you know action that happened towards the end but this is just that will happen again it's just like because we're so close to the beginning of this is the new thing. Yeah. I feel, they don't feel like they can do that yet. Right. They haven't earned that, I guess. I don't know. Right. Because if you have only been reading The Uncanny X-Men, maybe you don't care about X-Factor. Uh, what You haven't seen Iceman or Angel in forever. What, what are their motivations? What are they like? 
Iceman is so out of character in this issue because he's the guy that's like, Gene, we got to be serious. And that's why I called it out because Iceman has historically been the younger, sort of jokier character. Uh, and he doesn't do that at all in this issue. He's Mr. Yeah. Serious and then he fires some ice bolts. And that's about all he does. Everybody feels off. Forge feels off. Storm feels off. The professor feels off. So for I guess the only thing that I'm enjoyed in this issue was the bishop thing because i feel like that's a storyline that's going somewhere and i'm curious who this character is right the rest of it it's like meh right i don't know what the stakes are and i don't care and i don't remember about bishop i mean i, I remember that bishop is a character he is from the future i believe he's from the xse the xavier something something security enforcers, enforcers something like that uh but in my memory he comes back in time and joins the x-men which is not what's happening so clearly i don't remember how or when he becomes a part of the team maybe he doesn't even become a part of the team i don't i don't know he does okay (laughs) because my only my next memory of just just with the materials that are available in front of me, which is nothing except for my memory, um, I know what the cover of Uncanny X-Men 300 looks like, which is a cover of Bishop. So I don't know what he does between now and then. Yeah, between now and then, I got to work on my Idris Elba <laughs> impression. Oi, 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 oi. Is that a thing he says? <laughs> <laughs> it's He's got a cockney accent yeah yeah i got i think the oys are how i get into it but yeah i don't know this this may not ever come together but you know what how many of our how many of our impressions slash really ever do come together uh i think the the strongest one has ever only ever been uh long shot oh (laughs) 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 just basically just the terrible impression of elf yeah I don't even know why we did that. I was uh, I was talking to somebody that's just a, a, another random aside. Um, and they're like, yeah, I can't wait to watch Alf. And I was like, Alf? Yeah, Alf. I love it. Alf? Well, she was saying Elf, but she was. Yeah, because it's the Christmas season. Right, right. And she was accenting the A as an E. And all I could hear was Alf. And I'm like, is there an Alf Christmas special I'm not aware of? <laughs> I should find that. But anyways. I don't know, Adam. That's... Uh, that's an issue. That's an Next, issue of X-Men. On the Void, the X-Men meet a most unexpected ally. Oh, my gosh. Who could? I don't care. I'm pretty sure it's Peter's brother. Oh, maybe he's been sucked into a void, and, and that'll tie the whole Russian-Japanese thing together, and Sunfire will learn a lesson that not all Russians are bad. Well, he already knows that, because he knows Colossus isn't bad. He saved his life. That's true. Not without giving him a hard time, though. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I the that this is the things that I remember from this arc uh from my childhood are Peter's brother and Bishop. Oh, I don't remember Peter's brother at all, so you're you've got a leg up on me on that. I don't remember anything about Peter's brother. I just remember that his Peter's brother is in this for some reason. All right. Well, we got that to look forward to. Woohoo. But I don't even know if it is the unexpected ally that they meet next issue. I was just guessing. Based on my knowledge of this, my tiny, tiny knowledge of this period of time, which I don't even think, like, I know I have issue 300, but I think I stopped collecting pretty shortly after this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, because, you know, I was a diehard, well, diehard-ish X-Men fan. I, I kept up until I stopped everything, which was before issue 300. I remember seeing issue 300 on a magazine stand and being like, yeah, this artwork sucks. I didn't buy it. Even though it had like a foil cover and everything like that. It's like, nah, I'm not going to buy this. I have it now in my collection because I found it at a garage sale. But yeah, I'm just looking at the cover of X-Men 300 right now and it's terrible. It's 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 uh, a John Romita Jr. And I like I've said in the past, I've never liked his version of the X-Men, which is weird because I do like his art. Uh, I think he was great on his recent recent to this time. Recent, recent to the time that we're reading this comic book, the 90s, uh, his recent, his 80s, 90s, God, I can't just say anything. His 80s, 90s run of Daredevil was great. And his modern stuff is great, too. Like he did uh, uh, Kick-Ass. Okay. Um, 
He's done lots of stuff. Overall, I like him, but I could never get into his X-Men style art. I'm just kind of breezing forward in covers. And I think my my dip out point is X-Men 290. Oh, but then I read all of Execution. Did I read all of Executioner Song? I don't remember. Yeah, I, I think I wanted to dip out, but then they did Executioner's Song and I couldn't. So I think I do have every issue up to 300 and I might probably have 301, although I don't recognize the cover. I don't recognize the cover of 302. I recognize the cover of 303, but I don't think I bought it. 304 is the Fatal Attractions crossover, so I probably bought that because of the hologram cover. And that's it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I just coming back? I don't know. I'll tell you, uh, I think I've only read Executioner's Song in um, trade paperback. I know that I have all of these issues all the way through 100 and probably even beyond, but again, those are all garage sale and uh, you know, used bookstore pickups over the years. But I wanna, I'm going to say that 290. There's no other evidence that's going to prove me wrong. I think 290 is where I'm done. I mean, basically, we're back in the territory we were in before we got into the Claremont era, which is that we don't know what's going on anymore. Which is kind of nice. Yeah, sort of. I mean, I've, we read these. <laughs> I don't remember them, but we read them. The difference being that we read these and we don't remember them. But pretty soon we're going to be in the territory where we haven't read them. Exciting times ahead, question mark? It could be. I'm, <laughs> I'm very curious. Like, having dipped out of the comics through most of the 90s, I have no idea what the X-Men were up to. Same. So, it'll be fun. Or we'll stop doing the podcast. One of the two. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's close this thing down. Adam, you got anything else that you want to talk about here? Gosh, gosh, gosh. No. Okay. Well, until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. 